Brainwave number two. If you want to trick someone into liking you, ask them to do you a favor. Welcome back to Cognitio Podcast. I'm Lily. And I'm Chloe. Nice to be back here with you. Yep, for our second episode. It's very exciting. Um, How are you, Chloe? How are you going? I'm pretty good. Um, Not much has really changed from the previous podcast, apart from the fact that I put up my Christmas tree. Oh, as did I. Yes, very exciting. Um, And also went to a few interviews. Yep. Um, Mixed feedback. I kind of... The one thing that really grinds my gears about interviews is that I feel like they have a predisposed idea about what I can offer them as a 20-something graduate. Yeah. So I'm just trying to think of how I can give myself that extra edge at an interview to make them believe that I'm definitely the one worth hiring. So how can I have that extra edge? Well... I've been working on my lit review, so I've had lots of spare time to avoid writing my lit review. Nice. So <laughs> I've been thinking about this problem quite a lot for you. Really? Oh, I have. So I know. <laughs> it's pure procrastination. And only because you want me to move back here to Perth with you. <laughs> only because I want you to stay with me forever. By the way, I live in a small town called Bustle Hill, and it's really sad, and I want to move back. I really want her to move back as well. It would make <laughs> podcast recording a lot easier. Very much so. <laughs> um, so the kind of idea that I've come up with is that you could possibly utilise something called cognitive dissonance. This sounds kind of evil, some kind of therapy. What are you talking about? So it's like this psychological concept and it's really interesting. So basically, you don't want to have, no one wants to have conflicting pieces of information, right? Right. right. You don't want to believe two things that don't make sense. Well, I feel like you physically can't. Well, that's the point. So, cognitive dissonance is when you have two beliefs and they completely conflict with each other. So you need to change a belief in order to have have that state of cognitive dissonance removed. Right. So, kind of like someone who really likes smoking but knows very well that it causes cancer? Yes, exactly. Ah. So, then they have to change a behaviour or change an idea. So, they either stop smoking, so then they think that they, you know, then they're safe from cancer, or they just believe and add a second belief in that they'll never get cancer, they're invincible, and they'll keep smoking forever, and then they possibly get cancer and die. (laughs) More awkward. (laughs) A little awkward. But yeah, that's the kind of the basic principle of it. I feel like this is kind of applicable to our past boyfriend experiences. I mean, we've all had like that first boyfriend when you're 16 years old and you're just absolutely smitten with them, mostly because it's just your first boyfriend and so you try and like cast them in this fantastic light of romance when actually they're like pretty dumb. That's my entire dating history right there. If I could if I could put something on my Tinder profile, it would be don't put me in a state of cognitive dissonance, please. <laughs> and that's actually a very worthwhile way to approach any new relationship. Really. Yeah, I think if it's so. causing a state of cognitive dissonance, it's probably not good. If they're doing something that's against your beliefs, then, you know, you shouldn't have to look past it. You shouldn't have to add in an extra fact. You shouldn't be in a state of cognitive dissonance. Like the fact that, you know, boyfriend might be playing games for 24 hours straight and doesn't text you, but you just try and, um, you know, justify his behaviour by saying, oh, he's been working really hard. That is a hypothetical situation, isn't it, Chloe? <laughs> oh, very much hypothetical. Not at all applicable <laughs> to my real life. <clears throat> yes, not at all. <clears throat> no. No. Um, 
one of the main things I think about when I think of cognitive dissonance is actually going to university. So I don't know about you, but especially going into grad school, so going into our honours year and then going into PhD, there was always this idea yeah. of like, I've gone to university and I must enjoy it. Yeah. Because I've made it. I've spent so much money on it as well. So much time, <laughs> so much money, so much effort. Like, yeah. I've built up all these years to get here. Like, I did primary school, high school, undergrad, and I've, I'm here. Yeah. And then sometimes <laughs> it makes me absolutely miserable. That's so true. Because I've, I've always, like, viewed my degree in neuroscience. Not, not saying that it was bad. It was a very maturing experience, having a degree in neuroscience. And very interesting. Um, but, you know, I've always viewed it in a very positive light. And then coming into my um, job this year, one of my co-workers very bluntly said... Well, how do you think about your shitty degree that didn't get get you a job? And that caused a state of cognitive dissonance in me because I was, like, confronted with the reality that actually isn't that what degrees are supposed to give you as a job? And then on the other hand, I was like, no, my degree's everything. It's my life. It's who I am, you know? And so that, that was a bit of a struggle. I mean, I'm still a firm believer that my degree was worthwhile, but... I don't know if that's a state of cognitive dissonance or not now. <laughs> that, that state of cognitive dissonance scares me so much yeah. as a possibility in my future <laughs> that it makes me want to run and hide. I feel like the fact that we're doing a science podcast, though, is a justification that perhaps we're going for the fact that we do still think it's all worthwhile. <laughs> we do think it's worthwhile. That's why we're here. Don't we, worry. We think everyone has a job and, you know, everyone has a place and everyone <laughs> loves science. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it may sound bad, like in the smoking example, but cognitive dissonance is actually a really good thing because it helps us make better decisions. I suppose that makes sense because it's almost like your moral compass. We have this drive to mean harmony to make our actions match our beliefs. And when there's a clash on that, it actually creates a, a bit of anxiety. So in that sense, it's a coping mechanism. Exactly. And people don't like to be uncomfortable. Like, personally, I want my moral compass to be in the right direction and not compromised. So people try and get around cognitive dissonance in lots of different ways. So there's kind of three techniques that people implement. Firstly, you try and justify your behaviour with additional facts. So something that negates the clashing Mm -hmm. of these two facts. Um... You try and justify your beliefs by changing the importance of one of the facts. So maybe you think getting cancer doesn't matter as much to you anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe I don't know why I laughed. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe going to university doesn't matter as much as it did originally. Um, And sometimes um, you have an attitude change. Maybe you just one of the beliefs you just you just change your mind completely. (laughs) Well, speaking of um, cognitive dissonance in a um, moral setting. Um, recently I've kind of, I I will sound pretentious now, but, um, kind of become more interested in sustainable clothing. Um, so I had a good hard look at my wardrobe and had a look at all of actually the horrific labels that I have that exploit humans and environmental impacts. And it's just actually made me think that, wow, I need to start changing my behaviors. Um, But then I felt myself in a state of cognitive dissonance because I love shopping. (laughs) And so I started to justify my actions so I wouldn't have to go and switch my behaviours to go and buy sustainable clothing. So 
Number one, I have no money to buy sustainable fashion. And number two, I'm supporting the economy by buying lots and lots of clothes. And so by justifying my behaviours, I actually then went out and bought more cheap shitty dresses that I haven't even worn yet. So that is a very bad example of cognitive dissonance going wrong. And I am proud to say that I haven't gone shopping since and I am investigating more sustainable labels and I'm going to start recycling my clothes. Well, I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad to hear that you're going on a more sustainable path and I think that's something that we all are guilty of sometimes, definitely. So it's going to sound very odd, but my favourite thing about cognitive dissonance is actually how it was discovered, or I guess proposed, since it's a psychological concept. So, I'm going to have a bit of a bit of a rant about this, because... And History 101 by Lily Tui. History 101. <laughs> it's such a cool story. So basically, back in 1957, right, there's this guy called Festinger. Festinger? <laughs> it sounds like Festfinger, like... <laughs> Sounds very rude. It does sound a bit, but you know, we're gonna run with it because that was his name. <laughs> I feel like it might be pronounced differently. Like I feel like face it might finger, face dinger. Yeah, we'll go with face finger, face dinger. He might not even be German, but we'll just we're let's gonna just pretend go like he is. Yeah, for all intents and purposes, face dinger is now German. German. Okay. I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if you're alive. So basically, this guy infiltrated an apocalyptic cult called Good the Seekers. Lord. And they believed that the Earth was going to end on December 21st. Oh, was that like that Mayan calendar thing in... I'm not sure. Oh. I'm not, I don't think it was Mayan. I don't think it was anything to do with that. I think they just... There was like a... There was a leader. And this leader was like, the world is going to end. I think it might have been a she. Oh. I'm... Maybe I'm I just mean, imposing all, my own world for the feminist powers, but <laughs> I might be imposing my own feminist beliefs onto this story. <laughs> you know, don't quote me on that. But this cult believed that they alone would be saved by aliens on the day of kind of the rapture or the destruction of the Earth. Right. Which I mean, is they have like a theory of what the aliens looked like? Or I what? don't know. There's n- Are I we getting f- this technical. We're, we're not. I didn't go this in depth. <laughs> okay. I'm very sorry. I'm I'm just imagining like your stereotypical alien just yeah. coming down like ET styles. Yeah. Yeah. Merciless. Yeah. Just yeah. full on alien like ET phone home like <laughs> e. like more go- aggressive. ET yeah. <laughs> e. screw Earth. <laughs> that sort of thing. So. Obviously, that never happened. Like, there was no destruction of the Earth on Aww. December 21st. Or I think it would have been 1956, because it was the year before he published the oh, book on right. it. Um, but this caused a state of cognitive dissonance in these people, because they had this really strong, firm belief that these <laughs> aliens were going to come and save them and the Earth was going to end. So, and then that never happened. So, but the problem was that most of the cult actually restored their kind of happiness by choosing to believe that the aliens had given planet earth a second chance so they added in another belief (laughs) to yeah to get rid of the state of cognitive dissonance so then in the end it empowered them to kind of redirect their cult to environmentalism and social advocacy to end human damage to planet earth i mean at the end of the day positive results positive results and they got more people (laughs) into the cult the cult increased in numbers after (laughs) nothing happened so basically if something goes wrong it's almost like my situation it just amplifies the behavior almost exactly like it just gets worse (laughs) and then a year later festinger i can't even say it. face finger face finger 
Yeah, that's it. <laughs> he published his book, A Theory of Cognitive Dissonance. Wow. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see what cognitive dissonance actually looks like. In the brain, because we are neurosciences. Yes. So I did a little bit of research, um, and it kind of came up that the area most commonly found to be implicated in um, an experience of cognitive dissonance is the posterior part of the medial frontal cortex. So that's basically the front of your brain, but slightly back. And so this plays an important role in avoiding adverse outcomes. So it's basically your um, decision-making and ability to look forward into the future and make um, assumptions about what might happen. So when people change their minds to reduce their state of cognitive dissonance, this brain lights up on functional MRIs. Similarly, you might find that if someone is experiencing a state of cognitive dissonance, but they don't quite care or give a shit about the implications of it, that part of their brain um, will significantly le- will light up much less than it would on another person that would care about the situation. Um, other areas include the insula and the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, which is also in the front of the brain. Um, and these areas also become more active. And that's because they're involved in emotions and cognitive control and dealing with conflicting situations. So back on getting me a job, how could I utilize cognitive dissonance to change minds and get those brains lighting up in the frontal cortex? Okay, so you need to create a state of dissonance and then make them believe a contradictory fact to their belief about you. So... Say you had an enemy or you want to go to a job, or a job interview, should mm-hmm. I say. You want them to like you better, so you need to get them to do you a favour. And this creates a state of dissonance because people don't do favours to people they don't like. That's very true. Yeah. So Ben Franklin actually used this tactic against his <coughs> rivals. History 102. And not, <laughs> not that I'm a fan of history or anything, <laughs> but pulling out the history books once again, <laughs> um, Benjamin Franklin was a big, avid fan of cognitive dissonance before it even had a name. So he actually asked to borrow a rare and valuable book from a rival lawmaker. And then he returned the book a week later. And then he actually wrote about this in his autobiography and said that the following week, the man spoke to him with great civility (laughs) and ever after manifested a readiness to serve him on all occasions and they became really good friends. That's amazing. Yes. So basically, it's a bit manipulative, but also incredible it's incredibly smart just ask to do them to do you a favor it's it benefits you in multiple ways you get a favor done for you and they like you more so i guess that's a great example of when your actions are not aligning with your beliefs so if you believe that you don't like someone but you're actually physically helping them it doesn't make sense to you so you choose to like them after that exactly so a study by jekka and landy in 1969, actually ran an experiment to test this. Um, And in it, they actually allowed students to complete a test to win money. And at the end of the experiment, there were three um, scenarios that they played. So firstly, the researcher asked them to get the money back because he had used his personal money to fund the experiment, (laughs) Um, which being in science sounds like a very legitimate thing. Sounds very likely. (laughs) I've heard lots of people who mortgage their houses to fund their research. Oh my goodness, that's horrific. Please don't ever do that, Lily. (laughs) I will try my best not to. I guess you could just come live with me. That's I I will support your research. I I will come and live with you when I mortgage my house for the second time (laughs) and can no longer afford to live in it. Um, Secondly, the patients were asked for their money back by the secretary at the front desk. Or lastly, they were just allowed to keep their winnings and they went on their merry way. 
and it was found that participants who were asked by the researcher to return the cash actually had the highest esteem of the researchers. They actually How? liked the researcher more than those who got to keep the cash and the ones who got asked by the secretary. And it didn't matter how much money they were asked to give back. So the size of the favour doesn't actually matter. It's literally just, have they, have they done you a favour? That's amazing. So if someone that you don't particularly like asks for $2 and you give it to them... That's then you feel a bit versus better. Versus two hundred dollars, it yes. wouldn't actually make a difference. I think the biggest hurdle to overcome is actually just getting someone to do you a favor if they don't like you. Yeah. I think that's that's they can't they can't hate you. I think this is the key thing here. They must <laughs> they dis- physically can't hate you. Then they can't like dislike you to the point of hatred. <laughs> but if they just merely dislike you, you can make them think better of you. So I'm thinking that if I could create a state of cognitive dissonance in someone that's interviewing me to make them believe that I, or I don't know, give me an extra edge and an extra advantage to be employed by them, I should ask them to do a small favour during the interview. Exactly. This could be like asking to borrow a pen or an eraser or just a piece of paper to make a note on. And that action of them doing me a favour will make them like me more and give me an extra advantage over someone that didn't ask for a favour. Exactly. That's exactly (laughs) the point. It's kind of weird, but I think I'm going to try it at my next interview. I think you should give it a shot. I mean, what have you lost? (laughs) Exactly. I mean, possibly a job. (laughs) Possibly a job, but, you know, I'm always going to trust you, Lily, for great advice. (laughs) Don't do that. But the theory is right behind you. I'll let you know how it goes in the next podcast. Yeah. And I guess that's all from us now. Um, We'll see you in our next episode. And make sure you are igniting states of cognitive dissonances this week and get back to us about your experiences. Yes, tweet us. We're at Cognitio Podcast on Twitter. We love hearing from you guys. Um, And yeah, we we always, always scroll through Twitter. So if you tweet us, we will see it. It's our way of procrastinating, really. Yes. All right. Bye. Bye.